The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. G'day everyone, this is I The Big Footy the Port Adelaide podcast. I'm your host, Macca19, and you're listening to this live on Port Fan Radio. And joining me as co-host, once again, are the Cheech and Chong of the footy podcast community, Rick and Portia. Which one am I? You can yeah. be Chong. I'll be oh. Chong, okay. Yeah. It was right. Cheech. Was Cheech the little fat guy? Yeah, that's him. <laughs> yeah. Man, why do I have to be the fat guy? That's not fair. <laughs> yeah, but he had you played that role so well, Rick. Far out. <laughs> it does come natural to yeah, me. No, it probably should be the other way around in personality, though, because I think Chong was more sort of slower and laid back, whereas Cheech is a little bit wired. Probably a bit better swapping them. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I like it. I like it. Well, let's get straight into it and talk about finals footy. Um, I guess the first one to talk about is Hawthorne versus Frio. Porsche, you didn't think it would happen, but Hawthorne did the job over a nervous Frio on Friday night by 27 points. Uh, what does honestly, this mean for I, I, Ross Lyon footy? I broke my Frio rule that I formed years and years ago, which is that if you take a look at Fremantle and work out when they have reached the pinnacle of what would be the most embarrassing and awful thing to have happened, they will make that happen. Um, and I think because in recent years it sort of hasn't happened to that same extent it used to, but this was just back in full swing, just a complete embarrassment for them to do that uh, in the same week that West Coast won their prelim in Perth also. Um, mm. That's just a phenomenal uh, fuck you to the fans, basically. Um I don't know. If I was a Freo fan, I would just be. I reckon that would. I reckon what Freo fans would be going through this weekend would be equivalent to 2007 for us. I reckon it would be comfortably. Really? Oh not yeah. 2000, not 2003. Or no, 2002. I'd go as far as 2007, just because it is that extra thing, like 2003, where we did get knocked out, but also just that fact that your local rival has made it through uh, in the same week as you, um, and that you were resting players in round 23, which no one will let you forget, and whatever else. Um, That's right. They were pretty much top of the ladder from round one onwards. They were unbeaten for, what, 10 weeks or so. They've led the season the whole way through. Um, They pretty much shut up shop a little bit early and sort of started resting players and doing all this and that, and it's probably ended up biting them on the bum, really, because they they really did look quite nervous on Friday night. They made a lot of mistakes, uh, especially some of the young kids. Um, and I think also most importantly that quite a number of the players that they actually rested were pretty damn ordinary. Yeah, I think you, uh, if you reflect on their form over the last 10 weeks, I guess they weren't in mighty form. And, and so I guess objectively you can probably go, yeah, really, we probably should have seen it coming. But uh, I guess I was just thinking their season form would hold true and uh, they'd get over the line. But unfortunately, that wasn't to be. And Hawthorne are in it again. Damn it. Mm. So what does this mean for Ross Lyon football? It sucks. Uh, I think it means that it's still going to be played by a lot of sides because there's always going to be a lot of sides that are not in the finals and it works very well for them. I think it puts it in the same category as Neil Craig football. Um which basically, Neil Craig, I think that when the Crowbots were in full form, the thing you could say about them consistently is that they were quite good defensively. They relied heavily on a bunch of players with very similar skills and attributes, uh, which made them 
very good at zoning, um, and I don't think Ross Lyon's team is really too different. But it does mean that they lack uh, the ability to perhaps cover exceptional talents, and I think that was definitely the case with Craig. And I think that's partially true with yeah. Lyon. Um, but I think I think I think game, you're right there. His game plan got exposed against Hawthorne. It doesn't. It's not really conducive because I mean, correct correct me if I'm wrong here, but how I see his game plan is they they sit sit back and deep, and uh, and then sort of just wait for you to you know panic with your disposal and and cause a a turnover and then push and rush forward on the counter-attack, where, where the downside to that against Hawthorne is that that's just allowing them time and space. And, I mean, what was the ridiculous stat? They had 70 uh, marks to half-time or something, and though Frio was just allowing Hawthorne to play their possession game uh, to a tee, and, uh, and obviously that was detrimental uh, to Frio. You just can't afford Hawthorne that luxury. And, I mean, Richmond and Port showed pressure that uh, that quick spot-up kick that they like to do to maintain possession and the game plan can become susceptible to breaking. But they didn't even try to do that, which I found quite astonishing. Yeah, yeah. I think... I, I think, think also the... the uh, it is a very apt um, comparison to the Crowbots, I think, because they also relied heavily on their top-end players um, and their bottom sort of, you know, five or six of their main side are, you know, probably pretty ordinary and, and Frio's are pretty much the same. I mean, they're, they're sort of last four or five players in their first 22. I mean, you'd probably prefer the rest of the top four plus maybe Adelaide and uh, and Richmond um, and Sydney for that matter as well um, in terms of their sort of depth. I don't think Frio have all that great depth um, and I'm not sure what this means for them next year, especially if Pavlich retires as well. They just need to find some sort of firepower from somewhere. Maybe that's Cameron McCarthy that goes over. I'm not too sure. But they only had three players kick over 20 goals for the year. And to put that in comparison, we had five, um, and Hawthorne had seven. So they've just got to find some more firepower from somewhere. Yeah, uh, look, I think that if we're looking at the evolution of Ross Lyon's game plan... Um, so we talk about them playing a possession style and sitting back and waiting for the ball to come to them. Now, the reality is that um, back in, the, I suppose, the, the power glory years, um, we did that ourselves, but we also had an attacking element to our game, which is what Ross Lyon's team lacks. Um, and I think that it's possible that they could evolve it. Um, Choco doesn't get a lot of cred, but, um, and I suppose part of it might have been down to Clarkson, but being able to evolve the style of game we were playing into maintaining a, an attacking edge to it um, in 2002, 3, 4 and onwards. Um, it could be said that we took it too far uh, towards the end there under Choco, but um, it certainly um, provided an extra element, which I think that you know Hawthorne, they like to stay back a bit as well, but they do have that attacking element and I think that just will win every time against a purely defensive team, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Because it means you have to have a very good setup to get that to work. Mm. Well, the next game, West Coast versus North Melbourne. This one, I guess, went to plan a little bit. North couldn't get anything going after quarter time as West Coast ran away 25-point winners. Uh, North Melbourne looked really good in the first quarter. They were attacking really hard, uh, getting things going up forward. They led by 20 points at quarter time. Uh, maybe a couple of dodgy decisions there in the second oh, quarter in West Coast favour. I don't think that had any real sort of play in the game. And no. look, I think... Uh, up until about the 20-minute mark of the last quarter, uh, North Melbourne had kicked something like two goals, nine in two and a half quarters of footy, and you're not going to win a prelim final when you do that. No, I totally agree. Look, the, this result, I suppose, was a bit more expected, but that's because, obviously, Hawthorne, sorry, um, Hawthorne are a better team than North Melbourne. 
Um, <clears throat> I think I commented on Big Footy that this weekend has had us in danger of having a schadenfreude overload. Um, it's a number of things that have gone wrong to people that we don't particularly like, and, and it's it's nice to see North Melbourne continue to lose finals. But um, you know, we're and we're starting to get blown out in the prelim this time. <laughs> yeah, they're improving. Um, yeah, I, it's, it was an okay game, but North Melbourne were just they had played tough finals, and West Coast managed to maximise their home ground advantage, and the rest they they played their position well. Mm. Look, West, I thought West Coast were too good, as as we all expected. Um, yeah, I was surprised North Melbourne gave up as good a show as what they did, to be honest. And I was really impressed with their final series. All their tall marking targets were mm. impressive throughout, and they they really showed good structure. and And they sort of held true in the in the first quarter. And I was thinking, here we go. And then I was thinking, oh God, an all Victorian grand final that would just be horrendous after what could have been. So um, it was refreshing to, to see West Coast get on top. The, the question is, uh, how are they going to follow it up this week? Well, we might as well talk about that now, the grand final, Hawthorne versus West Coast. For me, it's going to be Hawthorne easily, in my opinion. I think uh, you know they've got a lot to play for, the Hawks. They're playing to pretty much become a mortal, one of the best um, sides of the modern era, if not the best side of the modern era. I really can't see them screwing that up. I think West Coast are going to play pretty well. Uh, they'll be in with a shot, uh, but I think the Hawks will probably run away late um, and win by 30 to 40 points. Yeah, I'd love to disagree with you, Macca, but I think you're pretty much spot on, and I'd even go with that margin. Really? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I just it's all going to come down to whether the Eagles get overawed you know, with the sense of occasion, I guess. Um, compared to the experienced Hawthorne that have been there and done that. That's their, That's Hawthorne's major advantage, isn't it? Um, the experience on the big stage and just the repeat appearances. But I think if uh, if West Coast can settle, um, they can provide that um, that defensive pressure on those short kicks, which Fremantle uh, didn't do, uh, which could convert to more turnovers and more errors from Hawthorne and hopefully an even game. I... I'm actually optimistic that uh, West Coast can do the damage, even though I'm not I'm not really a fan of whoever wins this game, to be honest. I can um, see West Coast winning. I think they've got the squad to win. They've got the firepower up forward. They've got the midfield to win. They've got a, a defence that just keeps doing the job week in, week out. They've, they've got the players there to win. I just think Hawthorne, their leaders, their experience in a big game like this uh, is going to get them over the line. Yeah, I think that, Rick, what you said about West Coast not being overawed, but I think that there's three stages you can be in a grand final. One is overawed, one is, yep, we're okay, and the other one is just actually being confident. And I think that that's really the barrier there, is that Hawthorne aren't just, yeah, okay, they're confident in this situation now. Uh, as players, as coaches, everywhere across the squad, um, you know, even the drinks guys will know what, what they have to do. Um, whereas West Coast, I don't know that you can necessarily say that. Um it's going to, it's a huge disadvantage, and also having to play that game in Melbourne is obviously also a disadvantage. Um, there's a lot of little things that will go against West Coast, unfortunately. I'd love for them to get up, um, but unless Hawthorne are playing injured players or something like that, I can't imagine it'll that they'll. I can't imagine that Hawthorne could lose this week. 
It's such a, let's not be traditional media outlets where everyone picks a favourite. I'm going to go West Coast. I think West Coast can get up. I, I think they've shown the form. I think the first week of finals where they dominated Hawthorne will give them a boost of confidence. And I, I reckon they're going to come out um, and get an early lead. Hawthorne are going to probably fight back. I don't think West Coast are going to smash it. And um, and then, uh, yeah, but I think they'll be able to pull away at the end. I think their their younger legs will, uh, will do the damage. And uh, I think they've got the right structure. They're... Their structural game plan this year has been A-class and that's really what's caught the competition by surprise. And, um, yeah, a bit like Clarko's cluster in 2008, um, the opposition teams haven't been able to curtail uh, the techniques that West Coast have been implementing. Well, moving on and talking about the Brownlow, Frio's a midfield maestro, Nat Fife, uh, only just turned 24 a couple of days ago, has won his first Brownlow medal. Um, he won with 31 votes, three ahead of Matt Prittis, with Sam Mitchell placing once again in third with 26 votes. Um, it's the first time since Gavin Wanganeen in 1993 that a player has won the medal with uh, just 18 games played. The first time since Greg Williams in 94 that a player has picked up nine first preference votes. Um, and his average of uh, 1.72 votes per game is the highest since 1940. Uh, quite simply, Nat Fife was that good in 2015. You know the best part about the Brownlow last night? Nick Nat's yeah. uh, Mrs. Dress? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, the, the bloody release of the Sam Mitchell Guernsey about... I was going to say oh, yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, I had Al messaging me and, uh, and I was thinking, really? Bullshit. They wouldn't have done that. So whoever did that, that was a good troll. But uh, yeah, Someone pressed the wrong button. And I'm sure the bookies would have been very happy that whoever did that did that <laughs> because they would have got a lot of money out of that. But I think the other thing that just to add, just to add to the Schadenfreude is that I mean I don't particularly like Sam Mitchell, and you just sort of know there's a moment where someone let him know that that's up as well, and so he would have been he would have been he would have been sitting there thinking, oh my god, I'm like I'm gonna win the Brownlow tonight. It's gonna happen, you know. They've leaked it. They've stuffed up at AFL House. It's gonna happen, and then to not have it happen, oh, that'd be heartbreaking, you know, with that little bit of build up. Oh, that's just so cruel. The other thing that I found humorous was the highlight of the uh, end of the year clash between Hawthorne and Geelong and uh, uh, Stevie J giving Sam Mitchell the, the fake knee. I know, I didn't see that before. I thought that was quite humorous <laughs> as well. So that had me uh, that had me chuckling away as well. And uh, yeah, but look, it was a reasonable night. I mean, it's not one that I sort of get into, but I sort of watched a bit of it because I was forced to. But uh, yeah, I, I was quite happy to see Nat Fife win it. He's a deserved winner. I'll tell you what, though. He's- what about Sam Gray getting votes? That's interesting. How many did he get in the end? I think he got five in three games. I think four, yeah, four or five. Yeah. I think I think Mac is about to go into where the poor players and what they polled. I would imagine. Yeah, maybe if you want me to, I can certainly do that. Definitely. Go on, yes, yes. and then we we can talk about Sam Gray because I want to talk okay. about that. All right. Uh, well, Bokey was Port's best with uh, 16 votes, uh, just outside the top 10 once again. Robbie Gray picked up 13 votes, maybe a little bit lower than expectations there. Brad Ebert, if he can put a season together, he's going to be a big shot at winning a Brownlow. He picked up 10 um, and pretty much uh, got best on ground in uh, in all the games that he played pretty well in. Um, and kudos to Bobby Carlisle as well, picking up his first Brownlow votes in his 157th match, uh, where he received two votes for keeping Ruffhead to four kicks and zero goals. Uh, in that epic Anzac Day match uh, earlier this year. 
yep, no, good result for Bobby, and uh, also very good to see um, up Brendan Archie get votes as well. I'll steal uh, Rick's thing there, but um, mm. uh, as yeah. far as as far as Robbie Gray and Travis spoke, yeah, well, that's it's okay. But I'm just really excited to see Sam Gray pick up possessions because I've got a little theory forming, which is that um, who who the umpires will pick. And so you look at recent favourites and winners like Pritis and Mitchell. Um, or not Mitchell, Prittis, but the favourites up there, Prittis and Mitchell, there's usually these midfielders that play, you could sort of imagine them playing a similar way at state league level, you know, 20 years ago. Um, they play very traditional midfield roles. And I think that San Gray plays a very traditional sort of midfield role. Um, and that's probably why it took so long to find it for him. And the fact that he's getting votes, you know, as soon as he's hitting a bit of form, um, I think that could be a really good indicator for future years for him. Actually, he he could actually end up being our first Brownlee medalist. Um, Done. Ten dollars on him. The first which moment which the Brownlow goes to betting next year, I'm putting ten dollars on him. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like if he's play, he plays that style of game that you would say is very traditional, and it's obvious that umpires have not updated how they award votes for 30, 40 years. Um, it wouldn't be surprising to see him if if he can keep up that sort of late season form he had, where he just pings around as the second or third midfielder for Port, and we win a bunch of games. He will be right up there potentially, um, as far as the umpires spotting him. So that that's that's just a thought at this point. But yeah, I agree. I'm probably going to put ten bucks on him at the start of next year. Look, no doubt. I mean, possession is king when it comes to the Brownlow. It's a midfielder's mm. medal, and uh, it's no. Um, I think there's def- definitely a correlation there between the more possessions you get and the more votes you get. Um, simple as that. So, look, if Sammy Gray can come out next year, Port Adelaide have a really good year, finish top four. He plays every game and averages you know 28 or 29 touches a game. He's going to get a lot of votes because that's the way that the Brownlow medal goes. But it's not just possessions because you can get a lot of possessions in midfield and not actually clear it. Um, and be harder to see for the umpire. But you're going to have just that little bit of space that an umpire can see, oh, there's Sam Gray. So it's sort of that halfway between inside-outside style of football, and that's basically where Sam Gray's playing. So I think that is what would work for him. Whereas you see Bokey's year, he spent all year with people hanging off him, it would have been quite possible for him to get a bunch of disposals that didn't look great or that was hard to attribute to him for the umpire in a bad position or whatever else. Whereas Sam Gray, all of his were just mostly, just slightly in the open where he could be spotted. Mm. Surely, if that was the case, you'd be able to get thousand to one for his career. Surely, don't you reckon? Do you know <laughs> what? What agitated me is, and this seems to be a history for us with the Brownlow, is um, the fact that we don't seem to get the fair representation in our wins with the three-two-one. Um, that GWS game, for example, really agitated me that two out of the best three players apparently were GWS players in that game. Um, I find that hard to believe. I, I mean, Reese Palmer kicked, what, five goals? You can sort of get away with that one. Um, but surely we had the, um, the two best players on the ground in that game. And, and I think that's what always holds us uh, back when it comes to Brownlow medal voting because compared to other teams, we seem to struggle with the votes in that regard with the umpires. I think it's because mm. we don't play entertaining football, Rick. What? <laughs> I think... That was an I'm going to disagree. That's been the talking point on the forum today and I'm going to disagree. We had the eighth most votes last night and we didn't finish in the top eight. So uh, you could almost say on that that we actually get more votes than we're actually, you know, 
probably worth. But I know I do agree. Sometimes you think, God, how did that player get you know votes in that game? And I guess you look at the first showdown this year. A lot of people have brought up the fact that Dangerfield got the three votes in that game, or, or at least scored votes in that game. And I don't know Dangerfield had something like eight inside fifties and fourteen clearances and thirty six touches. So. If you go by the fact that possession's king, then they're obviously going to notice someone like Paddy Dangerfield and him getting 14 clearances. Yeah, and look, I, I personally don't care if we don't ever have a Brownlow winner because it probably means we have a better team game than our opponents, in which case we're probably going to win premierships instead of Brownlows. Um, the fact is that we don't have a player that you can say they are the most amazing thing. Wingard's going to get close, but obviously he seems to be currently playing in a role that umpires don't notice him. Um, Wines could potentially win one one day, in theory, but he plays two inside for vampires to really care all that much. Um, yeah. Also, yeah, is the fact we don't actually have all that many big wins. Like, we don't actually win yeah. by 10, 12, 15 goals all that often. That's Maybe true. once a year we might have a big win. So all our wins, especially over the last couple of years, have, or especially this year, have seemed to be quite close, you know, within sort of 10 to 30 points. Mm. Um, and you, you always, I think you're always going to end up with an opposition player sneaking in a one or a two voter in that situation. Yeah, yeah but getting okay. getting the one and the two votes in that game, I think that's a bit rough. The other mm. thing that surprises me is just how badly that Chad Wingard actually polls. I know. That's surprising. Maybe the umpires don't like him. Maybe he mouse off. Uh, maybe they decided he's arrogant like happened to Warren Treadway. Yeah, too cocky for his own good. Maybe mm. they just have that sort of um, feeling that he's inconsistent and only bobs up every now and then. Uh, was it like Finn Barr that pointed, pointed out this week, uh, today, that he, the game where he what, kicked four goals, 27 disposals, and didn't get a, a mention? Mm. I can't remember which game it was. Mm. Was it the second showdown? Uh, don't know. No, the Geelong game, I think. Yeah, Geelong game. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Hard done by. We'll see how it works. But anyway, it was a shit house year, and I wasn't expecting anything from the Brownlow. So uh, yeah. at least, uh, at least we got entertainment from Bruce uh, gushing all over May <laughs> and, and we got to perv on the wag pitches today at work. So uh, yeah, I didn't listen. Sorry. So what's the? Uh, how come Gary Ablett presented the medal and not Matt Prittis? Is Gary Ablett Matt, now? Mr. Matt Prittis was in Perth. Yeah. Oh, was he? Yeah. Well, he's got a final. He's got a grand final to prepare for. Where's his priorities? (laughs) Second week of player reviews this week, it is titled The Engine Room. So we'll be discussing those players that, uh, I guess, largely play through the middle and a little bit outside as well. Um, First one off the rank uh, this week is Brendan Archie, 21-year-old inside mid um, fourth year on the list, he finally made his debut in 2015, playing 11 games, um, averaged 13 touches, two inside 50s, two clearances, and three tackles a game. Um, in his eight SANFL games, he averaged uh, 22 touches. I think importantly, in his last month, he averaged uh, 22 touches and over a goal a game at AFL level, which is fantastic. Um, had some pretty good form um, as a sub uh, against Northwest Coast and Collingwood. Got his big chance in round 20 versus GWS and didn't look back. Um, and was able to back it up against Hawthorne the week later as well. So, you know, he had some uh, promising signs this year, did Arch. And he won the poll in the thread. 2016 Most Valuable Engine Room Player. That's the prediction. He won by landslide, five, by five votes, 
40 percent uh, yeah, I'd say he's a very, very important player for the future. And look, I think he's still got improvement in him. He needs to improve his foot skills, maybe his penetration and his efficiency as well. Um, and look, if he can become that dependable second string centre mid that we've been screaming out for for years, um, you know, it's really going to add another dimension to our side. And yeah, it takes a lot of pressure off Boke and Wines and also allows them to play up forward a bit more as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he backs up in the second year. I know that we're supposed to be post-second-year blues these days, but it, and it's not really second year, but it kind of is. Um, I think that as the most valuable, I don't know that he'll be the most valuable, but if he can be as useful to this midfield as Jared Schofield was to the you know the Premiership midfield in 2004, then that's mm. all I'd expect from him. Um, just that adding that extra element that's hard to match up on, but that is important in making your forward progress and kicking goals and winning games. So... If he does that, I'd be absolutely thrilled. I think, to me, uh, Brendan, I've I voted him out of the list of engine room players the most valuable for 2016 or most important because he represents that depth player evolving and coming through, pushing our starting 22 players to evolve further. And if they don't, well, he's going to take their spot. So he becomes fundamentally important. Um, to the evolution of our side. I mean, Robbie Gray is Robbie Gray. He's done it and he's there and obviously he's going to put up the same fantastic, consistent performances that he does. But, um, you know, Brendan's that guy that still has a lot more potential upside. I feel like you said, Macca, if he can improve on his kicking a little bit more, um, you know, couple that with his excellent handballing skills, I think, uh, yeah, he can definitely take out team dynamic to another level. Yeah. I think he already is oh, yeah. in 22, isn't he? Like, he would be a first 22 player at this point. Well, it's a hard call because, what, we had, we got we were missing a few midfielders. you got Polek to come back in. Oh, yeah. Got Polek and Wines back in. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe he might be the one that gets squeezed out, but you never know. I mean, I, th- I still think if, uh, you know, with Wines back in the side, we still need someone like Brendan Archie. We still need one of those sort of inside players that can win the ball um, also get a bit out of it on the outside um, that can come in and, and give those guys a chop out. So, Yeah, I guess you'd have to say then if, the, if, if you think that he's first 22, which I probably do, then we might actually go back to having a more normal defensive group and have only three creative defenders or something like that. Um, that means O'Shea might have to sit out then. Oh, uh, sure. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Rick. Um, there Rick. could be anyone. <laughs> well, he would be the logical one, wouldn't he? Settle. No, why would he be the logical one? Because you're, you're not going to flip off um, Broadbent or Pittard because they're just legendary. Well, Pittard well, is anyway. So I, O'Shea I think, would have to be the sacrificial lamb. I think, no. Well, I think that more than anything, we need to see who is still around at the end of the trading period because I still reckon that one of our halfbacks is going to get yeah, well, that's somewhere part, else. That's, that's part but of I'm, the room. But I'm not, O'Shea. O'Shea. I'm not convinced it's going to be O'Shea. I'm not convinced it's going to be O'Shea. Well, the rumour is that he's already gone. He's already, packed, he's already packed his bags and he's two to the horn and he's driving off back to St Kilda. Shut off. So, anyway, back on, t- back on track. Brendan Archie, what do we uh, foresee for him for 2016? Can he be someone that plays 22 games next year? Um, or may he... Uh, is it possible that he might slip back a little bit and do what sort of Aaron Young did this year? Uh, look, it is possible. Um, to be honest, I... As much as he's played really well, I'd need to see more of him to to work out for myself what the weaknesses in his game are. Because obviously, after the end of the year, he had actually played pretty well. 
Um, but that means that obviously opposition coaches this off season will be targeting with someone that they need to work out a strategy to beat. Um, so it could be, you know, just keeping close to him and forcing him to dispose by foot as much as possible, um, things like that. So we'll see how he copes with a bit of attention because you'll get that next year. Um, you know, the ways that you match up on a lot of other players are, are already worked out, but um, he's certainly emerged as someone that I think opposition coaches will be having to consider their matchups more carefully in future. So um, it's hard to say. I reckon 22 games is reasonable if we make the grand final, which we might. I reckon he'll play 14 games, and I reckon he's going to handball a goal from the 50-metre line. That's how good he is with his handball. And it's going to it's going to be a world. I want to see that happen. Wouldn't that be awesome? My God, the guy's just handballed a goal. What do we do? I would believe that could happen if the umpire wasn't paying attention and thought because of the distance it was a kick. Yeah, mm. wouldn't that be great? It would be wonderful. Nice, though. But I mean, seriously though, I think what I like about his handball is, uh, and I said it previously on a podcast, it. Teams have been really closing us down in that pack situation this year and really clustering our players um, tight in space. So if he if he's getting the hard contested ball and he can use that weapon, he what he can do is he can have, he's one of the only players that can really handball over and out of that congestion. We saw that in a few of his highlight packages. It allows our our runners to to stand a little bit wider and be outside of that congested pack and get space or it's going to force the opposition teams to actually set their zone around the stoppage a little bit broader as well to negate Brendan's ability to handball so well, uh, which will then give our other inside midfielders and playmakers a bit more space in tight. So um, to me, it's an attractive proposition to keep him in the side just for that that reason. I don't think if we're going to just be playing him as a quasi-half-back flanker um, or half-forward flanker and a bit like Sam Gray where we played him out of position, well, then it's not really going to work. We need to we need to play these guys in their positions, and I think we'll uh, reap the rewards. Yep. Yep. Spot on. Next player, Sammy Cahoon, uh, twenty years old. He's still only twenty, which uh, which is amazing. Uh, you know, midfielder, back flanker. After doing his knee in two thousand fourteen, uh, Sam came back to play uh, six games at AFL level in two thousand fifteen, averaging seventeen touches, two clearances. Um, and three and a half rebounds uh, per game. He averaged 21 touches and seven marks in his 14 SANFL games as well. Bit of a mixed bag for Sammy. He had some really good moments, um, but I guess his consistency, especially with the ball, uh, maybe let him down a bit. I feel like our game plan has left his player type behind, and I don't think he'll be around next year. Yeah. I, I could quite be, like Sam. I just struggled to really see where he fits um, yep. in the side at the moment. What is his style? He's an accumulation man, isn't he? He's like a Kane. He's a defensive sweeper. Defensive sweeper accumulator. I know a lot of people were sort of keen on on thinking that he might be the replacement for Kane Corns in some sort of tagging role, maybe because of his fitness, but you know, I I don't think he's uh, he's got that in him at all, to be honest. I don't think he's got the concentration or the maybe the toughness to play that sort of inside role to be able to tag someone. Yep. Um, yeah. I think he's always going to be that sort of um, predominantly outside player, um, and it, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't. I think his lack of pace maybe hurts him a little bit. Um, maybe his decision making as well. I think he's got a lot of improvement still to go to become a, a viable AFL option. Um, and look, whilst he might be a, a very good depth player at this point in time, 
Um, I'm just not sure he's ever going to be more than that. Uh, is, for the future. is this where like, the Asanafil comes in, though? Shouldn't should we just maybe go? Oh, well, let's try him for 2016 in the Asanafil as a tagger, and we just play him as a tagger because we don't really have another one anyway, and see if he can develop his game into being a tagger at the Asanafil level, and then go from and then see if we can push him to that next level. I don't think that well. No, because what you're doing there is you create, you're forcing someone, not forcing, you're creating a tagger that is deficient in all the other things apart from tagging. And that's the problem, I think, mm. with Sam Cahoon is that if I think about a position he could play in the senior side, I think there's multiple people that are better than him in any position he could play. Um, and if you're going to have a tagger, Kane Corns, he managed to collect a lot of disposals and also shut down. And that's basically unique in the AFL. Um, usually taggers are guys that do not a lot else other than tag and that's why there aren't so many of them these days um, but ideally if you're going to create a tag if you're going to put in a huge amount of development time into someone that's going to tag you want them to have other attributes apart from that as well so you want them to have height you want them to have strength you want them to be good around the ground maybe you want them to be able to go forward and jag a few goals um, with some reliability um, and I just don't think there's the other. I don't think there's enough facets to Cahoon's game plan or game style or his potential to justify that kind of effort. Um, when we could have another crack at someone else um, doing a similar role, I, I just don't see it. I can't. I can't see a reason why not to give him uh, another couple of years or at least another year. A bit like what we did with Brendan. People were calling for Arch to be, you know, delisted after two years and. It took yeah. him four years to come good, and you you don't know how but, Sam's going to evolve his game. I, that, that's a bad comparison, though, because Brendan Archie, we knew that he still had some exceptional attributes that if he could translate them to the AFL level, they would be great. We don't know that about Sam Gahoon. He's very vanilla in every aspect of his game. And but no one, he, no one was saying that about Brendan. Everyone, well, they, they, everyone talking about his handball, how ridiculous his handball is, and everyone can see that you know he's got a good height and size to him. Those are the two things everyone knew about Brendan Archie before he played AFL, and those are the two things that are going to make him an exceptional player at AFL level. Now that he looks like he's up to the grade. But Sammy Carhoon, I think new changes to the. I think a better change. comparison is probably Sam Gray. To be honest, it's probably better. But I mean, Sammy, Sammy C with his endurance will be a massive uh, weapon with the limited interchange, especially if they keep dropping it in future years. So, I no, mean, no. He, he, he's one that I would persist with in the SANFL and, uh, and just see what can develop because he does have the endurance and he does have the bowling ability. Look, he's, he's someone I think that's going to stay around for another at least two seasons. I think they're going to give him a bit of time to see what he can do. Um, and look, what he does... In the SANFL was fantastic. He's able to play very, very good, very consistent footy. Um, and what he does is very, very good um, as that sort of defensive sweeper. But I just don't see how he can implement the way that he plays into a long-term AFL career at this point. But also look at our list as well. Like who is he, Who in our current side is going to retire or leave in the next three or four or five years that he could even replace? Um, he's undersized for everything that you want him to do. Uh, he can't intercept mark in defence or anything against a, a tall opponent. He hasn't got the pace that you need to be a, a proper defender because if you're going to be a proper defender, you can't just rely on the ball coming to you. You have to actually go out there and get it. 
Um, he's worse than every single one of our top side halfbacks, of which we've already said we've got too many. He won't take Hamish Hartlett's position as the defensive sweeper now that he's going to resign for the next 10 billion years. There's just no room for him in that side. The upside he's is a, minimal. He's a midfielder. It's is he? Is he? Where's he going to play? Yeah. He's not going to beat out Polek. He's not going to beat out Archie. You look through the rest of our side, there's not a single player that he will beat out unless he finds new attributes that he doesn't have in his game. Well, Polek's questionable because he's got his navicular issue that we don't know how he's going to come back from that. Um, Matt White's injury prone. Um, so uh, Wines has had his injury issues this year as well. So... You know, he's not a starting midfielder, but he's a depth midfielder. And before his knee injury, he was playing some very solid football at AFL level. And he, he strung yeah. a lot of games together. And, and He played some solid did... football this year too at AFL yeah. level. You know, I thought he was really good against Geelong. I thought he was good against Sydney, against Carlton as well. Um, yeah, he played some pretty decent games. But I guess when you're looking at his long-term future, I'm not sure where it fits. But, you know, maybe he does provide a bit of a role on a wing, you know, where he can just sort of run up and down and obviously he may not have the pace to uh, to be that sort of modern style wingman. Maybe it doesn't matter. But the well, roles willing... that we're talking the roles that we're talking about him filling in for are the easiest roles to fill in the side. That's the thing. Like they're not the skill roles, they're not they're not he doesn't like I'm saying there's not anything about his game that will make him the best person on your list for the role you want him in. And we're talking about squeezing him in as a flanker, like the, the most generic flanker position possible. We're making excuses to keep him on the list. I don't understand how... I, I really don't understand this argument at all. Well, that's because Young's probably going to go. Uh, Andrew, Moore's pro- Andrew Moore's probably going to go. Uh, you might. We're going to have enough uh, turnover in our list to substantiate keeping a guy that's just turned 20 years of age and we've pumped a few years development in and there is potential upside with him. I, I can't see a reason not to keep him in for another year or two. I'm, uh, I'm even so confident that he'll be in a, on our list in 2018. I'm willing to bet you a box of tea that um, he's still there in 2018. That's a good bet. That's a, that's a good 50-50 bet. I don't care if he's on our list in 2018. It just means we're wa- it just means we're wasting a list spot that we could be turning over and trying out guys that have got exceptional attributes, like your mate Brendan Archie, that need development time and that actually do have that potential upside to be a unique player at AFL level, rather than the best case scenario being a, that they're a, a, an enduring grinder, a gump type, as Choco used to call them. I just don't see that as a valuable thing for our list. So, uh, are we having a box of tea on it? Sure. It'll be on a 2018. No, because it doesn't matter. Bit. No, because we know that Port can have weird things that they keep a player around for years longer than they should, like Paul Stewart. So, no, no, we're not having a box of tea in it because the list decisions are not always great. And I think that it's Ooh, possible. So, you know that no. I'm right. Yes. No, no. I, that I means you're admitting that I'm right. Yes. I <laughs> No, if you want to have a bet on him playing games, absolutely, I'll take one there. All right. he'll be on our list in 2018. And, and how many games will he play? He'll have played will, at least Well, here's a good games. bet. Will he play 50 AFL games? How many has he played now? 16. 16. Well, yeah, I reckon he'll play. He'll make 50. All right, I'll AFL take that game. one. Yep, deal. Done. If Box of tea. Yep. Good work. Okay. Yeah, I've got to keep tab. Box of Lipton going your way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm drinking green tea at I'm sure Lipton do green tea as well. Uh, I could do better, Lipton. 
maybe. I'm not worried about what you want, Rick. It's me that's going to get the tea. That's it. <laughs> I'm not getting any <laughs> All right, let's move on. Yes. Speaking of uh, seagulls, Kane Corns uh, has been a, a story very well told uh, this season. Played his 300th game and retired. Uh, played seven matches for the year. 20 touches, three and a half tackles, two and a half inside 50s a game. His form right to the very end uh, was very, very good. He was fantastic in round one. Thought he was great against Hawthorne as well. Uh, very good in the showdown and had a ripper game in his final game against Richmond um, at Adelaide Oval. All right, next player. Good summary. <laughs> That's yeah, it. There's, there's really there's not a lot else to say. Probably not much else to add, really. Yeah. We've spoken about him. He's not on the list anymore. He's a great servant of the club. He's done well and he's going to help, help the community and society in a better way. And uh, I'm sure we'll see him back in some capacity. But. Well. Uh, We've well, we, we probably haven't heard Porsche's opinion on this, but where do you think he sits in the pantheon of uh, Port Adelaide footballers? Um, all right, well, I'll answer that quickly, which is that he's obviously he's played a huge number of games. He has played in a premiership, which automatically puts him at the highest tier, which is quite large at Port Adelaide. Um, yeah, he's been really good. Um, I think that in 20 years I won't really worry about his game at all. Um, he did a lot of good things, and that's great, but is he a Warren Trendray? No. Clearly not. I think there's still a definite difference between Kane's high performance and a lot of the others. I'd probably put him at a Michael Wilson level, um, which is still really good. A lot of people think, yeah, fantastic, but you don't think about them all the time when you think of Port Adelaide legends. Um, But the question I want to ask is that we're talking about how we need a replacement tagger for Kane, and we had a a good number of wins in that second half of the year where I don't think we really had a, a pure tagger played in the side at all. Do you need a tagger in today's football? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, with zones... I Who think... was it that said good size don't tag? Was that Alistair Clarkson? <laughs> well, he should know. I mean, West Coast have proven if you've got the right system, you don't need a tagger because they structure up so basically where the ball hits, they've got a spoiler and three people around the ball most of the time. Mm. So, uh, which means if you can continue to... a uh, maintain that structure for the bulk of the game, well, then you don't need a, tar- a tagger because uh, you'll nullify anyone that's got the ball. Yep. Mm. yep. All right, moving on. Robbie Gray, our 27-year-old uh, midfield magician, coming off a year where he was arguably the best player in the league in 2014. Now, I guess the pressure was on Robbie to back that up in 2015. You'd have to say he played uh, just as well in more of a midfield role this season, played 21 matches and picked up a career-high 26 touches a game. Uh, to add to career highs in uh, tackles inside 50s, a massive 7.5 clearances a game as well. Uh, Also contributed over a goal and a goal assist a game. Um, Pretty much a huge year by a huge player for Port Adelaide. Yep. (laughs) The robster. (laughs) Look, it's just so easy to forget. that He's he's one of those players, if he played for another team, I'd sort of go, oh yeah, I suppose he gets a lot of disposals, but I wouldn't really know too much about what he does. But he's just... He's absolute workhorse. He's really good. Um, I don't know. I said. I think I said mid-season that I have a little bit of grey blindness. Um, but there's no denying. You know, he puts it up every week, and he just works so hard. And he's a really good player. Um, that's a good summary, Maka. So yeah, very happy to have him on the list, and certainly into next year. I hope he can keep it up. I love his. He's pretty much unbeatable playing through the centre square at yeah. times this year. He reads the play yeah. as well, if not better than any other player in the league. And he certainly has more sort of clean clearances than any other player where he's just able to read that tap and just break free and dish off an effective disposal from the centre. 
Yeah, his instincts are superb. How he can cut through traffic in congested situations is amazing. Um, For a player that's done his knee as well. I mean, it's just incredible. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's just a shame that he did do his knee. I I, I don't know if it it actually has limited his performance. I don't think so, the way he's playing. I guess it's just limited his time. And, you know, as fans, we've been devoid of him maybe getting to this stage a little bit earlier. Um, Mm. You know, which is a bit of a a bit of a shame, but he's a he's a great player, and it'll be an interesting proposition what um, what Ken does with him. I mean, he predominantly played uh, midfield this year, so uh, you know there wasn't as much forward time. I'm imagine I'm guessing, but that's from my observation. So correct me no, if I'm wrong. No, you'd be spot on there, Rick. You'd be so, spot on there. So think- I'm hoping that. Uh, we can maybe get that balance and get him back in the forward line a little bit more because, mm. and that's maybe where Arch and Sammy Gray come into it because I think him and Wingard up forward, awesome proposition. I think I think we, we do need him up forward more at times. Um, certainly this year, I thought we did. Um, and yes, he did play less times up forty. I think he took uh, forty marks inside fifty in two thousand and fourteen. He had less than half than that uh, this year in two thousand and fifteen. I think he had something like eighteen or nineteen marks inside fifty. Um, could certainly do with uh, spending more time up forward. But I think, um, like Boku we spoke about last week, it was maybe the situation where we just couldn't afford to actually lose him from the centre square at times in games. Yeah, I agree with that, Maka. Um, I think that it's nice to think he can go forward, but honestly I'd rather just have half-forwards that are full-time half-forwards and playing in the side. Um, I think that the, probably just back on Robbie Gray, how he plays, I think the most interesting thing about Robbie Gray is how much of it is just down to his brain. Um, so it, I just said it was his instinct before, but really it's just his ability to perceive how not just how the ball is going, but how people are reacting in relation to it and where he can fit in. And so if you've got that brain to to read the ball that well, you can get through a lot of physical deficiencies where you know other people might rely on their talent. He's always got a little bit of extra cunning on his side, so it's always going to make him continue to be a hard matchup and hopefully might add to the durability uh, of his career. Um, mm. Yeah, but I think there's no doubt he was certainly playing less up forward because um, we needed him in midfield. Yeah. And the only game he had less than 20 touches was against Carlton where he was uh, stretched off before half time, so he was super consistent for the season as well. Bevan quote, tweeted in and said, Sando, um, our good mate, said good teams don't tag. And there you go. Sando, that's, that's right. There. There you go. Look, I mean, I guess the other thing to talk about Robbie Gray is who actually foresee that he would get to this, you know, extreme level. We all knew he was super talented. He showed it from day one. He had some really good years in 2009, uh, 2011. Probably deserved the best and fairest in one of those years. Um, But I'm not sure I ever sort of foresee him becoming this um, super elite footballer. Uh, He kind of is, though. It's just not in in a flashy way. I don't know. He needs more goals. See, I'd say he is flashy. That's the thing. His ability to sort of zip zap through packs and you know he kicks goals. He can do the miraculous up forward, take a good grab. I mean, he's he's as exhilarating as pretty much any other player in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't know. I, uh, for me, in my mind, he's not a flashy player. Although what you're saying, yeah, he's kicking goals and doing tricky things, but I, he just doesn't feel like a flashy player. So I guess I don't perceive him that way. I don't know. Mm. Mm. He needs more goals. I think that's why he needs to go forward more. Um, I think that's probably where I'm looking for him to influence the game a little bit more on the scoreboard. 
Uh, I think his ball winning ability and, and what he's doing with it, you know, he's, it'll be difficult for him to take it any further. Um, so yeah, it's the uh, it's the goals now mm. that are going to make and goal assists. Well, again, you had Pollock for the year. You had Wines for you know more than half a year, and you know suddenly Robbie Gray's allowed to spend a little bit more time um, playing in a forward pocket and doing a lot more damage, like he did uh, in two thousand fourteen. Mm. Moving on, uh, Sammy Gray. What a story this was in 2015. Who saw this coming from this little uh, 23-year-old midfielder? Nicholas Till did. Nicholas Till did, yes. He's best buddy. Yes. <laughs> uh, played 10 <laughs> games in 2015, but like Brendan, it was really his last four or five weeks that, uh, that really counted from round 18 onwards. He averaged 28 touches, four tackles, four and a half inside 50s, five and a half clearances in those six matches. Um... And look, I guess, uh, you know, after round 11, when he struggled against Geelong, it pretty much almost seemed game over for Sammy Gray. He's shown maybe a, a small amount, uh, but mostly couldn't impact in a pocket or flank. Um, and it just seemed like the Sam Gray experiment was over. Yep. <laughs> Let's cue Porsche. Let's, uh, you can start gushing over Sam. You love him. I, I, so. I kind of already did. So I, I don't know. What, what else is there to say? You know, what, what, what commendation can I give him beyond the fact that I think he might win a Brownlow one day? Um, it's true. <laughs> he's, he's done, he came in the second part of the year and he's done really well. I hope he can continue that uh, production uh, in the future. Uh, it's really nice to have someone stand up and be a, a reliable second-tier midfielder, and I honestly probably think he is currently in that category, but who knows, he might come on in leaps and bounds from here. Um, but he's just, he just is where he needs to be, and that has been fantastic to see. And, uh, yeah, it'll certainly help relieve Boak. Hopefully Boak will get to create a bit more next year. With Wines back, it'll make it a bit easier, because I think that Sam Gray's game will go really well with Ollie Wines. Um, I think that he'll be there to help out Ollie a lot. Uh, in future, uh, and hopefully he becomes a real link man between that uh, that extracting centre uh, group and then the the goal kicking half forward types. Um, yeah, it was just I think it just goes to show way. that if you're going to pick these mature age guys from the SANFL or the VFL or wherever, it's important to give them games in their natural spot just to see if they yep. can actually shine in their natural position at at the highest level. So yeah, many mature true. age guys, especially the shorter ones. And they, they always get pigeonholed into pockets and flanks and, you know, they're told they're too small and too slow. It doesn't really matter if they can win that much of the ball. Yeah, that's fair. Well, we seem to focus sometimes on the metrics of the person rather than their ability to play the game. And, uh, and I think Sam's probably one of those ones. In the beginning, was held back probably because he wasn't the quickest and he wasn't the tallest, but... Um, I guess my my observation from Sam was that really he just seemed to be struggling to pick up pace completely of AFL football from the SAFL and it, it took him a while. But once they, uh, once he, he was able to pick up that tempo and he just went straight into the midfield and, mm. and just sort of said to himself, you know what, I'm going to see ball, get ball and just do what I do, it's really been to his benefit and, uh, and the team's benefit. And pardon me, I think... Him and uh, Arch, as we've already said, they, they're fundamental <laughs> to our 2016 because it allows players like Robbie to push forward more and influence the scoreboard. Uh, it allows um, uh, Travis to maybe get a little bit more outside and use his skills with the ball. 
Um, so it just frees up all our other natural uh, footballers to, to have more influence in the game. So, you know, I think it's fantastic. And it goes back to that starting 22 question with Ollie Wines and, and Jared Pollock coming back in the side, you know, is Sammy Gray going to maybe be the first one to miss out or has he given himself a first 22 opportunity? I think the removal of the sub rule has given him a first 22 opportunity. There you go. Mm. I think you'll be thereabouts. I think you'll be thereabouts. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, my only concern for Sammy Gray is, is this a false dawn? Is this another Mitch Banner or Jason Davenport? Can he actually become that sort of key second string player in our outfit for 2016? Uh, I think so. I think, he, I think he's done better at AFL level than what Mitch Banner did. Mitch was okay, but I don't think he had those massive breakout games possession-wise. I think that as far as possession, you might be right that Mitch Banner had a similar number of possessions, but I think as far as actual impact on the game, ignoring statistics, I think that Sam Gray has surpassed both of those players. Mm-hmm. Um, Davenport, you know, he was quite good when he was running free. and he was, he, he was good at what he did, but it still wasn't as much as what Sam Gray's done in the last few weeks. So uh, I think he's comfortably ahead of both of those guys, and that's probably what will see him in good stead. Mm, yeah. Look, Mitch Banner had some really good form at stages through his uh, brief career. You know, 2010, he had, I think, three games in a row above, you know, sort of 23 touches. Um, he had 24 touches and three goals against the Dogs. Played pretty well against Melbourne in the Adelaide Oval game in 2011. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's probably my only concern is that um, he maybe gets a little bit ahead of himself, doesn't do the work, and, you know, then he sort of reverts back to it, to what he was before. But... You know, I think there's definitely an opportunity there for Sam to be a, a consistent first-team player. I think mm. we need someone like that in the side, um, similar to Archie. You know, he, that sort of player that can provide that sort of chop out, win that much of the ball, you know, kick goals, win clearances, lay tackles, good defensive pressure. You know, you need them, and successful sides have them. Yeah, I think the real secret to his success is going to be how how well he can hold the team rules in his head and stick to them. That's really all it is. All right, moving on. Andrew Moore, where did it go wrong for this uh, this 24-year-old midfielder? Played just the five games in 2015. Averaged uh, 13 touches, five tackles, and two clearances a game. Uh, played 14 SANFL matches for 21 touches and a goal a game. Uh, quite simply, I guess, um, can you say now that he's uh, just not up to it? Yep. Yeah, it's very disappointing. I... Yeah, well, he wasn't. He was. He felt like an odd pick when we picked him in the first place, um, because he was uh, basically he was a utility. He was a first round pick utility that we we picked, but, uh, and it, that's never going to work well. That's that's really uncommon that that comes out to be a, a good player. Um, and I think that we saw his size, and we hoped that he would play like he has that size, but he doesn't. Um, and then I guess it just comes down also to his ability to have that mental focus, uh, which we just talked about. You know, Robbie Gray's got it, and that's why he's fantastic. And I don't think Andrew Moore ever had it, and that's why he's where he is. Um, yeah. Look, I think we ended up picking him because at the time, Ryan O'Keefe was all the rage. You know, he was getting all Australians and you know playing through the middle. He was a taller midfielder, kicking goals, and Andrew Moore in the under-18s was doing sort of similar and you know was able to play back, play up forward, play through the midfield, was a clearance mm-hmm. winner, could kick three or four goals and you know it's you know maybe that's fair enough but I don't know we've all said it 
you know, Triby said it on the forum a lot of times. I think you have two Porsche that it just seemed at that time, two first round picks, one after the other, the two bookends should have been those players. Yep. First pick, John Butcher, second pick, Daniel Talia. It was so yep. obvious and we just didn't do it. Yep. Yep. Mm. Why didn't we do it? Well, we probably thought that, um, you know, we'd picked Trengo over the year before. Maybe we thought, um, you know, Carlisle was still young, probably only 21 or 22. So maybe we thought that we had those uh, defensive spots, um, you know, nailed down for the future. But I don't know. When there's, uh, you know, when there's quality uh, key position players available, as there was with Daniel Talia, then I think you just got to pick them. And I think Andrew Morse still would have been there with uh, pick 16. And whether we would have gone down that path or not, or still picked uh, Jasper Pirard, I'm not too sure. But I don't know. It just seemed like a, a strange pick at the time. And, you know, I guess we, we hoped it would have come off. And look, through 2013, he had some pretty good form. And he looked like he would become that player that could break through and, you know, provide that sort of chop out and become, you know, that, that wonderful sort of second string player that we actually need. But the last two years, he's just been nowhere near it. Mm. Yeah. So we, yeah. Both, we all agree that he won't be with us in 2016. I'd be shocked. I'd be really shocked if he was with us. The only way I see him staying is if we trade Young, um, trade O'Shea and maybe one other player um, and we think that having Andrew Moore as an experienced backup is the right thing to do. Nah, I think the only way that Andrew Moore stays on the list is if we are doing some dubious shit to keep him at the Magpies. Um, otherwise, he's gone <laughs> for sure. That's the, only, look, that's the only purpose he'd have on our list. Even if we delist or move, lose all those players you just mentioned, I still don't want him in our senior side. Um, mm. So if he's not boosting the Magpies, which I know sounds funny on the back of his finals performance, then there's no shot that he'll be on our list. So is it all mental with Andrew Moyes? We know he can pick up obscene amounts of the ball at SANFL level. He is that player that I just spoke about where he can kick multiple goals a game at SANFL level, but he's just never been able to bring that um, forward into the AFL on a consistent basis. Is it mental? I know a lot of people have sort of um, you know, talked about him maybe being that sort of tagger or defensive option, but I just don't think he's got that concentration uh, to yeah. perform that role at AFL. I don't, I don't think he has the concentration either. So I, don't, I think it's just his, um, his ability. Um, I don't think, yeah. I don't think yeah. he's... I think it's the focus, but I think it's also the speed of reaction as well. I just don't yeah. think that's there. I don't think it's ever been there. I think the only position that he may have, he might be able to make it if he gets another chance, um, would maybe be on, say, the half forward flank, you know, that Ryan O'Keefe role no. that everyone was comparing to. But I'm saying that that's, a, that's going to be a stretch, but I think that's the only place where he might be able to find a home. But he's going to have to have a massive turnaround because he's had enough opportunities to really cement a spot on our side and he hasn't been able to take it. So. Um, yeah, he, he's probably going to be one of those players that will get traded somewhere else and we're not really going to be going, geez, we really lost out on that one, I don't think. I don't, It'll probably I don't... be another Benny Newton and average, you know, 15 touches and maybe a goal a game at, at a bottom club or something oh. like that. And... All right, moving on and talking about the next player, Kane Mitchell, 25-year-old uh, short midfielder, played eight games in 2015, the least in his AFL journey to date. Averaged a career-high 15 touches, three-and-a-half inside 50s. Uh, kicked four goals and had eight goal assists as well. Picked up a, a massive 27 touches and eight tackles a game in his 12 SANFL matches in 2015. Had that really great run when he came into the side in round three. Kicked the winner against North. Was uh, was fantastic against the Hawks. 
um, and had probably his best game at AFL level against uh, Adelaide. Um, but I'm not sure where it went wrong from there. You know, it was pretty much all downhill from there for, for Kane. I think he's pissed away his AFL opportunity, um, quite honestly, because we've had, because we've already said a couple of times, we've had uh, Archie and Sam Gray come on and they both jump straight ahead of him and they stay there. Um, yeah. Unless we have another uh, a problem next year where, we're, you know, Pollock and White are both injured and we need a little bit of pace around half forward, I just don't see him getting a game in future. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I think he's... Uh, I, I can't find an argument to fit him... To keep him on the list, to be honest. Um, I think I'd, he can stay on the list, but I just wouldn't think... I'd rather keep Sammy Cahoon on the list than Kane Mitchell. No, I'd, I'd rather keep, keep Andrew Moore on the list than I'd, Kane Mitchell. I'd rather, really? keep, I'd rather keep Kane Mitchell on the list because unlike the other two, he's proven that he can be a part of an important side, a good side for Port Adelaide, rather than just sort of performing games where we're kind of shit. Um, I think he's probably the better of those three as a potential player to fill in a role in the top side. Now, they're saying this, like I've been throwing around names like, I don't care if they go, they go, they go, whatever. But we can't really afford to trade out O'Shea, Moore, Young, Mitchell, even Sammy Cahoon without finding um, some backup depth players because otherwise we've been trying to build up this depth in our 20 to 30 range players and if we offload them all just for young draft picks again, we're going to be back to square one with no, uh, yeah. with no draft well, picks. But, so, uh, with that's no, right. This isn't the draft players. where you do that. That's for well, sure. Because no, we're it, not going to get... All these players, we're only going to get third round picks for. We're not going to... And it's not the right draft to do that. So, no, well, I look, think... And Cahoon's definitely not going to go. He's not going anywhere. He's contracted. The club's made no talk about him going anywhere. That's just fanciful stuff. Maybe next year, you never know, but... I think Moore's probably gone. Mitchell might stay around for another year. I think, look, I think everyone loves his effort. I think he's obviously a very, very popular player at the club. He's a popular figure. I love his tenacity. I love the fact that he's a good tackler. But the simple fact is he's not tall enough. He's not strong enough, especially through his core. Um, And he certainly doesn't have the skills to be a long-term AFL player. I'd agree with that. Uh, just on trading out O'Shea, like if we trade out O'Shea, it's not going to be because we want to to get a, a shitty draft pick. It'll be because we've already traded out our draft picks to get someone like Dixon, um, and we want to still be in the draft, you know, for this management reasons. Um, I would have thought. Um, I can't see why we would. We, I don't think we're actually trying to get rid of him. I think we're trying to see if we can get something good for him. If we're not getting something good for him, then we just don't do the trade, you know. Hmm. I guess the good thing I like about Kane Mitchell is that he always seems to perform in big games. That's uh, that's well, one that's thing I, I do really, really like. You know, yeah. I think back to last year, he was incredible against Frio, against Hawthorne. Yeah. Um, you know, had a really good showdown. This year against North Hawthorne, Suck, Adelaide. He against Sydney, Macca, last year. Yeah, yeah but he's... he had one bad moment against Sydney, but outside of that, I thought he played pretty well that day. Yeah, but I can't forgive him for that bad moment. <laughs> Yeah, it was, but, but it's it's that it's that thing where he seems to play well in big games, which is nice. And then against the likes of Brisbane and Carlton, he's um, he's terrible. Is yeah. that because he doesn't get any attention in the big games, and they focus on our superstars, so he gets to run a little bit wild? Yeah, quite That's possibly. Probably, well, it's probably part of it in that his opportunities are increased in the big games because they're looking for a release valve. Whereas if they don't need a release valve, then your best players are going to get the ball and they're going to dominate possession. Um, so, yeah, that, that's why. 
But the, as Mecca said, he performs in big games, and for me, that's why he's the better option over Moore and um, Gahoon and whoever else you might want to mention around that level, mm. because he has proven he can perform as part of a, a high-performance side, and we're planning to be that next year. So if we do need him, which I don't need, think that we necessarily would, but if you're going to have someone come in and fill in a, a short-term role, he's as good as anyone. Yeah. I just wish he had better foot skills. If he had just mm. normal foot skills... Could, could kick over 25 metres and actually get the ball sort of, you know, rotating in its correct sort of fashion, he'd be a wonderful little player. He'd be a, a really good, really handy, consistent, you know, probably, you know, 15 to 20 game a year player. But I think that's just going to hold him back. You know, that you just can't... I don't, I don't think you can play AFL footy um, consistently if you've got foot skills which are that bad. Yep, that's fair enough. All right, last player to talk about, Aaron Young, 22 years old, a midfielder, played 11 games in 2015 for 13 touches, uh, almost three tackles and three clearances a game as well. Picked up 23 touches and a goal a game in his seven SANFL matches. Uh, For me, Aaron Young's probably just about the big disappointment in 2015 for me. After a year of consolidation in 2014 where he was able to make a a really good impact as a sub, I was really hoping he'd be able to... uh, <clears throat> you know, to make a spot his own in 2015, I guess similar to Mitchell um, in that his first couple of games were very, very good. His, uh, his game against Hawthorne was probably his best at AFL level. And then he just fell off a cliff completely, was uh, subbed off in the showdown, had no impact uh, against West Coast as well. Yeah, look, he's had a disappointing year and I suppose he's really just continued his form line of not finding a position that works for him. And unfortunately, it's a bit like musical chairs in that chairs keep being removed all the time. We're getting more and more spots in our first 22 that you can lock a player into and they're rapidly disappearing. Uh, and those opportunities for him to come in and fill one of those roles are also disappearing with them. Um, you'd wonder if he might be tempted to go to another club for opportunities um, to play full games regularly. There's certainly other clubs, I think, where he could do that uh, in a very variety of different roles. But um, as far as his future at Port Adelaide, I'm not really too sure what it is, um, and I'm not confident it's good, whatever it is. Well, look, he's contracted, so I think uh, I think it's likely that he'll, at the very least, stay next year if he's not traded. I know there's three or four clubs that have been looking at him, um, so whether he chooses to uh, to pull the trigger on those and, and heads uh, interstate, um, I guess that's up to him to decide. But I don't know, I guess he's kind of like Archie in that he's you know deceptively tall, he's great inside, he's a really good clearance winner, um, reasonable foot skills. Um, it's just consistency. He just goes missing for you know, 40, 50, 60 minutes at a time. Yeah, I think that I think if he was in a I think if if he was in a, in a less structured side, I'll put it that way, um, he would get more priority and opportunity, and I think he'd probably be a quite a good player. So he's one of those players that if we let him go to like a terrible side, he could actually appear to burn us a bit, but I don't think we'd in reality lose too much uh, mm. for what was happening to our side. Sort of a Heath Scotland sort of guy, I guess, um, when he went to Carlton from Collingwood. At Collingwood, he was okay, and then at Carlton, you know, there was so little there, he just sort of managed to step up and kind of had a pretty good career, and I think that Youngie's probably in that category. So what wage do you reckon he'd be on? Would he be on 250? I know you were intimating, Matt, probably you, about thought, that. you thought more was on 300, really? 350. I oh, think more would be on 300, 350. Oh, I think God, he really? would have... I think when we... 
when we sort of when we signed him and he stayed when it looked like he was gone, I think we probably overpaid him when we were horrible and we didn't have anyone else to pay. Um, yeah, but that and would have I been... think from memory he signed another couple of years at the end of 2013, which was his best season. So I think if you think about you know 300k is probably your average wage, then Andrew Moore would be on an average wage. So whether that's you know 300, maybe 350, determined on sort of games played and all those sort of bonuses. I think that given the shape of our list, if he was getting paid large money, it would have been in the earlier years of that contract. He would have been one of the guys we would have front-loaded with the expectation that guys like Wingard and Wines would come on and demand more money uh, further down the line. So um, mm. over the course of his contract, that's probably right, but as far as what he's going to get paid this year or whatever, I think it's probably not going to be too, too as much as that, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah. Oh, look, well, Youngie would be on about 200, I reckon. He'd yeah. be on about 200. He well, wouldn't be on free up some huge space space. Anyway, anyway, wouldn't it? <clears throat> Getting rid of those two. Yeah. Alleviate a bit of financial pressure. Look, I'd, I'm pretty happy to keep Young around. I still think he's got a role to yeah. play. I think he's still got improvement in him. Maybe this is the season that he needed to sort of uh, kick him up the arse a bit. Um, you know, I guess questions have to be asked. Did he become a bit too comfortable? Did he think uh, you know the improvement would just come naturally? You know, maybe this is the kick up the arse that he needs to become the player that um, that he potentially can be. So, uh, I mean, hopefully okay. it is. Hopefully it is. But like I said, I mean, those spots that he can potentially even break into, even if he plays fantastic in the SNFL every week, those spots are rapidly disappearing. Um, and if we trade for more players, they're going to keep disappearing. So, we'll see. We'll see. It um, anyway. Sorry, Rick. Care. No. I don't you care. I was going to just just really throw the conversation off on a tangent. So Come on, uh, let's go. Tangent. Oh, do you want a tangent to what we're all about here, Rick? Come on, you know that. Do you think that What did you have for tea tonight, Rick? Oh what I had very boring meat with salad. That's it. Do you know what meat it was? I'm glad I yeah, bought that up. some chicken and a sausage and a, a little bit of leftover steak, some leftover barbecue from the other night. So okay. I'm going Jeez. into lockdown because I've put on 4kg, so I'm going to get rid of it pretty quickly before bad habits spiral. And so some bloody guest, uh, some guest, some bloody client came in trying to be nice and brought in a big bag of goodies for us because we were so nice, nuts oh. and chocolate. And so all I've been thinking is I would really like some of that chocolate that's in that basket. And I'm not touching it. I've got to, I've got to detox off it. But what I wanted to know is the lure for Hamish Hartlett to leave, has that been diminished by the fact that West Adelaide and his brother won a premiership in the SANFL this year? Why would that I don't think the lure for Hartlett to leave was ever there. You, you guys buy it so easily. Come I kind of, I kind of, I don't know. <coughs> like I said, oh, he was week, never going to go. I don't hammer. think no. No? Nah. I didn't think it was likely, no. No. Uh, as, uh, us as a supporter base, are we overly paranoid on big footy? Yes. We seem, we seem to be now paranoid that Hamish was going at the rumours. We seem to be paranoid that Dixon's going to flip and go to bloody Frio, even though he's declared his love for Ken and wants to come to Port Adelaide. Um, you know, we've signed up every player we've wanted. We've drafted great, recruited fantastic. 
um, maybe take out the drafting part and let's just go with the recruiting. Um, yeah. Why why are we so um, paranoid um, that we're not going to get these players like we intend? I just we need to toughen up. Big I'm footy posters. Well, a lot of a lot of fear mongering is going on that Dixon's going to flip flop and go somewhere else. And really, I, I have confidence. Is, well, is that an I, actual thing, or are you just that, making that, that up? No, well, that's the tone I got from the Charlie Dixon thread. Hmm. Yeah, but that's the same as you know. Whenever Port's going to get a player, the Crows say, "Oh no, he might come to us." No, it's not happening. It hasn't happened yet. You know. Um, if it has, it's because we've let them. So, nah. I'd, I I don't do know why people would be paranoid about it. If you, you look think... at... Why, why would Dixon go to Frio yeah. where he doesn't want to go when Cam McCarthy has said, I want to go home and play for Frio? <laughs> like, who's younger, who kicks goals, you know. The, the, Frio are going to throw all their eggs in the Cam McCarthy basket. Um, but, but not I, only I that. highly doubt they'd be interested in Dixon at all at this stage. But, but not only that, like if you if you're if you're Charlie Dixon and you're looking at clubs to talk to about you know changing to their organisation, I mean I just don't see how you'd go past Port Adelaide at this point. Um, in terms of personally familiar with um, the culture that seems to be coming along, the opportunity to potentially win a premiership, which it's looking more and more like Fremantle won't have. Um, it's just an absolute gimme, and the fact that he'll come straight in that side. And he'll be on the end of, you know, Wingard and Wines and all these fantastic midfielders that keep coming up, you know. Uh, I just don't see why you'd turn that down if you didn't have a, a very strong reason to go somewhere else that, you know, might be personal. Um, I think I think we're the best option for him, frankly. So do you think Nathan, 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 Nathan Bassett might be able to attract some of his former players to Port Adelaide? We've got, we've got enough listeners. Elliot Kavanagh. Well, maybe Norwood players, like a young Aish or a Mitch Grigg or. Nah, I reckon Aish is chasing the dollar. Aish is chasing the dollar? Yeah. Yeah, what do you reckon, Macca? You seem to always be wise with these sort of things. I have never rated uh, Aish, and I certainly don't want him playing for Port Adelaide. Ooh, wow! Why really? Is why is that? Yeah. Do you because think it's I don't a think. Attitude? No, I don't. Th- it's not an attitude. I think it's just a game thing. I think he's Aaron Fiora the second. I think his game looks fantastic at the lower level, but I don't think he's got the body or the pace um, to play his style of game at AFL level. Yeah, talking about Aaron Fiora reminds me of Farron Ray and. Ooh, yeah. What a what a career Farron Ray has been able to uh, generate for himself. It's quite astounding, actually. A lot of people didn't rate Farron Ray in his uh, in his draft year. He was he pretty much started the the phrase downhill skier. Yep. Um, in in AFL terms, um, when he was drafted, um, but look, he's carved out a very good career for himself. He's um he's done everything that um you could possibly ask for him I would think and played in grand finals and you know he's done all right good on him. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think that for me Farron Ray will always be the player that is the archetypal Terry Wallace player. Like he's, he was exactly <laughs> yeah. the guy that he wanted, you know, in every way. Um, yeah. 
but you know, you're quite right. He's he's come on and actually become okay, so that's good. Yeah. Look, Aaron done... Fiora played some okay football for you know St Kilda in later years, but yeah, I mean, yeah, he's uh, I don't know. Ace just sort of screams that to me. That's just my opinion. I've I've never really been into him in a big way, to be honest. But fair enough. You sure about that? That's not what I heard. I heard you had posters up on your wall, maker. <laughs> Look, he burned me, and I'm unhappy, and that's it. No, that's what I thought. No, not really. Well, no. I've done my job of sidetracking away from the engine room and derailing this conversation. So you've done well. Yeah, yeah, good work. That, that is my job on this program to just it derail is. everything <laughs> at every opportunity. It is. Oh, I like cats. Cats are not. I, I didn't like cats. cats at four o'clock this morning when they were fighting out the front of my house. Hmm. Yeah, that's the and problem that's, with cats. Oh, and that screech, that cat screech. Are we? Even, is it even worth having this conversation? Because Mac has just got to clip it out anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so now, if you left this shit in, it would be great. But the fact that you're just going to clip it, it really takes the fun out of actually having these conversations now, Macca. Well, I'm leaving it in now, aren't I? Well, hey. it is off-season. It is off-season. It might stay. It we got, we've got to talk about something. Why not cats and uh, oh. leftover roast meat? Well, how, how bad are bloody cat fighting? It is, they're just a hideous noise, and it seems to go forever. And uh, it just keeps you away. I just couldn't fall asleep after Speak, these. Speaking of cats, speaking of cats, what do you reckon about Dangerfield? Oh, Segway. That is a segue. great Segway. Awesome Segway, to be honest. I am, I am so sick and tired of Patrick Dangerfield. The only, the only thing I want to talk about is this fishing charter that he's got to go in December with Bickley, Stephen Rowe, and those four supporters that paid nine grand to go fishing with him. I mean, oh, that's going to be great, isn't it? Isn't that comedy gold? Oh my god, really? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> he was he was the prize. Go fishing. That was with that charity auction where they oh, had the no. port the port table went for forty eight hundred, and I was going to bid on it, but Mel was going to tell me off, so I didn't. But yeah, so the Crow supporters paid nine grand to go fishing with Buddy Paddy D, and uh, he's out of there. I wonder if there'll be a late um, swap of players. Oh, they have to be, surely. Oh, my God. That would be yeah. just the best thing. Oh, my God. Who wants to go fishing with Cameron Ellis Yeoman? Is there any, what are going to do now? If, if it happens, is there any way we can get, like, a sound recorder on there so we can hear the discussion? Maybe some little cameras so we can watch it? It's just a reality television in the making. Oh, my God. That's fantastic. We have to, we'll have to tweet <gasps> Rowie and ask him if, he's, uh, if Paddy D is still going to be going fishing. Oh. Mm. Oh, my God. Isn't that hilarious? That'd be wonderful. <laughs> but I am just so... I'm so over it, really. Uh, I mean, I, who cares? Uh, I mean, well, I, I mean, honestly thought he would stay. I actually thought he would stay. I thought you? the Phil Walsh nah. thing... Yeah, I thought the Phil Walsh thing would sort of galvanise him to want to stay um, and, and try and win a premiership with this group because I don't see him winning a flag at Geelong at all. Nah. Uh, look, I, I think that um, the, the thing you have to keep in mind, though, is that it's really hard to be a player that everyone thinks you're going to leave. Like for everyone, since he was drafted, like the minute he was drafted, you know, before he was drafted, even they said, "Oh, I want to stay a year in Melbourne and continue my study at my high school, all my mates, and all that stuff." Mm. I mean, that was a, that was a huge red flag for a lot of people. And so he's always, you know, he could be 
there for the next five, six, seven, eight years and they'd probably still be thinking, oh, yeah, but he wants to go home, you know, da-da-da, and it'll just be constantly hanging over his head. You get tired of that after a while, surely, you know. Um, it would have kept happening with Chris Judd if he'd stayed at West Coast and it affects how people treat you. You'd constantly be hearing from Crows fans like, oh, yeah, good on you, you know, you're going to stay around, you're going to re-sign that contract. Here, there's a contract in front of you and just people asking your business all the time. I mean, just piss off. And so mm. from that perspective, you know, going to Geelong is probably a really good idea to get away from that sort of crap. Um, yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, well, I just think he's, he's really screwed the Crows over because... Uh, oh, what? How no, can you say that? Well, it's he's their prime midfielder and uh, they're, they're going to struggle. Let's face it. They're, that's going to be a massive midfield hit for them. And uh, really, they're becoming a fantastic mid-tier feeder club for other AFL, other, or especially Victorian AFL sides, um, which I'll probably get bashed now by pro supporters for saying that. But that's what they're coming, you know? I mean, it's just... And they got rid of... Who else they get rid of? Bloody um, coach. What's his name? Campo. No, Milburn. Milburn's gone. Oh. Yeah. And uh, their uh, fitness coach, I was led to believe they let go. Not that uh, he left, but they yeah. let him go. So yeah. that's that's what I was informed. So uh, quite interesting that the uh, the PR coming out of the camp is that he's taken another job. So, uh, yeah. But anyway, I don't really give a shit about Dangerfield and I agree he's going to be struggling at Geelong for a while because I can't see... Geelong uh, making it for a little while either. So uh, anyway, their their losses for our humour. That's it. And on that note, I think it's time to say goodbye. Yeah. No. Dramas. Macarena. Hey, Macarena. That's your new nickname, and and I've got one for Porsche too. <laughs> Porsche. Porschetta. Oh. I like a bit of Porschetta. I think it's actually known as Porchetta. What's what's going on with you guys? I don't know. Flirtation in the the it's uninspiring. It's there. Yeah. Oh well. I want to be flirted with. No one flirts with me. It's a bear. I want to be the fat guy. Bear. That's wonderful. Can I have a Labrador too, Maka? <laughs> don't start on that. Please. Do not go there. No. Please. Don't go there. Come on. Pair. Yeah, can't yeah. it. Come on. Let me have one too. Boys, though, both threatening with every passing minute. Back to full forward. Off hands. Brown needed to trap it. 